Good morning. Good morning. Morning scripture will come from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord from the glory of his power. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate those songs that Frankie led so marvelous this morning. And the way you all sang, brethren, from where I was sitting, it sounded mighty, mighty good. And of course, we're singing praises to our Heavenly Father, so we appreciate you doing that. But, but every song he sang, brethren, um, uh, every one of them had to do with my lesson. And that, that always helps me, see. It helps a minister as he's going to be getting up. It already said in your mind, hopefully, some of the things that we're going to be talking about that you've been thinking about because those songs are part of our worship service as we sing and encourage one another and we're thinking about those. So I appreciate that very much. We are going to talk this morning about why Jesus is coming back. This has been on a series on why did my Savior come to earth. And, and we have looked at why Jesus came. We've looked at 12 reasons the Bible gives why Jesus came to the earth. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, has a definite purpose for everything he does. He doesn't do anything just random, okay? He has a reason and a purpose, and so there were reasons he came to this earth. I don't know that you would have imagined until we studied them that the Bible actually said, I come, or I have come, for there I came for this reason. And you get list 12 throughout the scripture that we looked at. Um, we also looked at why he went back. He lists different reasons why he went back to heaven and what he's doing there now, brothers and sisters. And, of course, it's on our behalf. And, and then today I want us to begin, why is Jesus coming back? What we call in the Lord's church or in religious circles the second coming or as some people say the second advent. Jesus has always said he was going to come back. Again, that's not a spur-of-the-moment decision. So why is Jesus coming back, brethren? Number one, the Bible says he's coming back to give his kingdom to God. That's when it's going to all take place right now, see? And uh, in, uh, in, in previous lesson, we, we looked at that Christ came to begin his kingdom on this earth and then went back to um, receive the kingdom and to reign and to rule from his throne in heaven. And that's what he's doing at this very moment. He's coming back to give his kingdom to God. <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, I want us to look at a section of scripture that can be a little bit difficult to understand because it's kind of wordy, and we're going to flesh this out a little bit this morning when talking about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> the apostle Paul He's talking to some new Christians who did not believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. And he was trying to explain to them how absurd that would be because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus hasn't risen. And if Jesus hasn't risen, then we won't rise. And, we, and, and us living for Christ is in vain. It's useless. It's worthless. You know. And so he explained that there's a resurrection of the dead. And then he talks about what's going to happen and how that's going to take place and the kind of body we're going to have when we resurrect. Incidentally, brethren, and we need to understand this, and this is a little side note, but a lot of people ask me about this. We are going to have a physical body in heaven. It won't be like these, thank God. 
but it is going to be a body. We're not just going to float around as a spirit as some people suppose because 1 Corinthians tells us that. But here's the thing. He goes on to say for, the, for the, our lesson today about government to give his kingdom back to the Lord <clears throat> and to turn it over and to, to present it to God Almighty, uh, he says, but each in his own order. Talking about the resurrection now. Christ, the first fruits, after those, after that, those who are in Christ at his coming. This is why one of the reasons he's coming back. Why? Then comes the end. When the Lord comes back, brothers and sisters, that's the end of this world. That is the end of time as we know it. Everything else is eternity from that point on. Okay? And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and the Father. That's when he's going to hand it over. When he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he's put all of his enemies under his feet, the, be the last enemy that will be abolished is death. There's a lot of enemies that Jesus has on this world, in this world, brothers and sisters. There's always has been, always will be. From before he was born, Satan and his minions have tried to destroy our Lord. And he's always going to have enemies on this earth. The Bible um, says here that he's going to have, it, it, it indicates he's going to have nations that are enemies of his. There are nations in our world today that by their own reckoning are officially atheistic or, or Islamic. And, and they are, by their own admission, enemies of Jesus Christ. And so then he has his enemies on this earth. He's going to reign until he has put every one of those enemies under his feet. That is an, a terminology in the Bible that means he, he, he has defeated them and defeated them thoroughly. And, and the last one to be done, of course, is going to be death. And that's going to be at his return because that's when all of mankind will stop dying physically there will be no death at that okay for he has put all things in subjection under his feet but he when he says now this way it gets a little you pay attention now okay pay attention don't be messing with your phones y'all look it up here all right but when he says all things are put in subjection it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him there's some there's one exception What's the one exception that's not going to be put on the feet of Jesus Christ? The one who gave him this authority, God Almighty. Okay? He's accepted. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one, meaning God, who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. They're going to be one in nature as they were before the creation of the world, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, as, as Philippians reminds us, willingly subjected himself. Willingly, he had to do that in order to become human flesh and become our slave and then our sacrifice. So he subjected himself voluntarily, as Philippians said. Now, when Christ returns again, then he and the Father will all be, as it says, all in all, one again. There'll be no more of that subjection. When is all that going to take place? When he returns the second time and when he takes his kingdom and hands it over to the Heavenly Father. Did y'all get all that? You want me to repeat it? <laughs> no, 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 we don't. Okay, <clears throat> so here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Jesus will take 
those in his kingdom back to the Father. He's going to take them home to the Father. Only those in his kingdom. Now, friend, are you there? Are you in the kingdom of Christ? The Bible explains very clearly the kingdom of Christ on this earth is his church. If you're not in the church that Jesus Christ died for and built, you're lost. So somebody says, how do I gain entry into the church? How do I gain entry into the kingdom? Nicodemus come to Jesus. We call this Nick, that Nick at night. He comes to Jesus, and, and he's at nighttime because he's a, quote, a secret disciple. And, and he asked Jesus, you know, he said, what about it? How, how do I enter your kingdom? And, and he says, you know what? You've got to be born again. And he asked him, about, well, how do I do that? And Jesus said to him in John 3, verse 5, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot. That word is emphatic. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if you want to be in the Lord's kingdom, you've got to be born again. How do you get born again? Jesus very specific, by the water and the Spirit. Well, where does this take place then? Acts 2.38, Peter said unto them when they were asking what they needed to do to be saved on the day of Pentecost, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the, Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the water and the Spirit, brethren. And so that's how you enter into the kingdom, okay? Jesus is coming back to give his kingdom to God. So you want to be in the kingdom that he's going to give to God. Amen? They're the ones that's going to be in heaven. Brethren, we need to understand that all of this world's kingdom, all the world's nations, all the world's governments, all the world, all those human governments and institutions that have risen and fallen since Adam and Eve and going to continue to do so, the, historically, a nation lasts 200 years before it's destroyed. They come and they go. God's kingdom is going to last forever. You need to be determined that you're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because that's who he's coming back to give. He's coming back to, to take the kingdom, take them home to the heavenly Father, and present them to God, and then become one again with him on the throne. He, secondly, he's coming back to judge the world by his word. He said he's going to do that, brethren. There's those that's not going to be in the kingdom. So what's going to happen to them? They're going to be, quote, taken care of as well in this way. He says, he said, while I was here, see, Jesus says in John 3, 16, 17, he tells you this. The first time Jesus came, he said he didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world the first time. That's why, that's why he come. That's why he was nailed to a cross. That's why he did everything he did during his first advent so that the world could be saved. But he said, the second time I come now, I'm going to be judge of the world. And so he's going to come back to judge the world by what? John 5, it's very interesting. You should read the entire John 5. But Jesus begins by healing a man who had been crippled for 38 years. Now here's the problem. We talked about tradition this morning. <clears throat> you want to guess what day he healed this man on? The Sabbath. <clears throat> he goes to this man who'd been crippled for 38 years and asked for help, and he says, arise. That's impossible. It's impossible for a crippled man to get up immediately. He said, take up your bed. That's impossible for a crippled man to do. And he said, and walk. That's impossible. For a crippled man to do. 
But that man did the impossible because Jesus said to do it. So now here's the context, brothers and sisters, because any time Jesus does something like that, the critics are going to argue and condemn. In fact, it says twice they sought all the more to kill him because he healed a lame man. Anytime something as great is done, we're going to have people that say, I just don't know if I agree with that, brethren. You always have your negative knowledge, your volunteer fire department that wants to put out anything good that people want to do in the Lord's church. So Jesus heals this man on a Sabbath. He'd been crippled for 38 years. And his critic says, wait a minute. By what right? does he do that by what authority does he do that they didn't say oh would you look at that this brother who's been crippled for 38 years has been healed praise the lord no you healed on a sabbath who gave you the authority to take up your mat and to walk And they should have been rejoicing. And the Bible tells us in verse 18, they sought all the more to kill him. So Jesus gives three reasons why he could do that. He gave three reasons why he had the authority to heal a man whenever he wanted to. He says, number one, I'm one with the Father. Number two, I have authority from the Father. And number three, it's been established by three witnesses. In the Jewish law, if you brought any charge against somebody or you gave a reason for doing something, you had to have three witnesses. And he gives three undeniable witnesses. He said one was John the baptizer who came and preached God's word about me. The second are the works or the miraculous, literally the miraculous works that I do. The Jews themselves said, this man could not do the things he does unless he's from God. So the miraculous works I do. And then thirdly, he says, I have the authority of none other than God the Father to do this. He says, and you know what, brethren, this is mighty sweet of Jesus at this point. Here's people seeking to kill him, and he's explaining to them by what authority he does it. I, you know what? I'm a human being, and, and I would have just said, you know what? Here's some lightning for y'all. God didn't do that. Jesus even tries to teach those who are determined to kill him. And he says, I and the Father are, are one, and he has given me the authority to even raise the dead. If you think healing the lame is something to behold, brothers and sisters, and get upset about, you hate Jesus seems to be implying until I raise Lazarus, which is going to be a little while later. Raise somebody from the dead. So he talks about three resurrections in John chapter 5. And, and he says he talks about the resurrection of the lost uh, sinner into eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the Bible talks about our conversion in that way. Ephesians 2 tells us that before coming to Christ, we were dead in our sins and our trespassing. So if you are dead, you've got to be raised up again. But then he says in verses 1 through 5 that although we were dead in our, in our, our sins and our, and, our, and our trespasses, but then through Christ and his sacrifice, we have been made alive in Jesus Christ. 
Now, how does that take place? How do you resurrect from that spiritual death into new life in Jesus Christ? Romans tells us, that, read all the chapters, Romans, but Romans 6, 4, Therefore we have been buried with him, talking about Christ, through baptism into death. When somebody's dead, you bury them, okay? I don't know. I've known a few cheap people probably drag Uncle Joe out in the, in the pasture and let the buzzards eat him. But most of the time, we bury people who are dead, right? We've had a lot of funerals here lately. And we've buried every one of them. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So he speaks of that spiritual resurrection of being dead and in the world until being alive and resurrected in Jesus Christ, okay? And then secondly, he speaks of his own resurrection and what that is going to be like, not to the degree that he did as we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but he talks about that, okay? And then he speaks of the resurrection on the last day of all of mankind. And he said, some of these will go into life, meaning eternal life, and some into eternal death. Not that you're going to die because you're going to live, but death means separation. And as we, uh, Mason just read, you're separated from God, your creator for an eternity. There's so, so three resurrections in one paragraph. Jesus talks about, brothers and sisters, didn't the Lord know how to preach? Man, I'm telling you. And Jesus says... Sinners are raised from death to life. He said, I'm going to be raised from the grave. And then when I speak the word, nobody stays in the tomb. You know, that's not going to be an option, beloved. You may not want to come. In fact, the Bible said that on that day, there's going to be people that, that are going to plead with the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and cover them as if that can keep them from that day. But it's not going to. When Jesus says, here, you're going to be there. That's an appointment every one of us is going to keep. And he proves it in John 11 by saying, when Lazarus dies and is in the grave for three days and it begins to rot, Lazarus, come forth. Do you ever think about why he said Lazarus? Specifically, Beloved, seriously, if Jesus, with his authority that God has given him, would have just said, come forth, there wouldn't be an empty tune in this world. He has that kind of power and authority, and he's going to exercise that authority when he comes back to this earth. He had to single out Lazarus, or there'd be no graves, no occupied graves, as it were. So Jesus is going to return again to judge the world by his word, that he spoke when he was here the first time in John 12, 47 and 48. If anyone hears my sayings or somewhere and say, literally says my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. In other words, <clears throat> this is his process. <clears throat> I, did not come into the, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. That's true the first time. But listen to what it says. Okay, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what's going to judge him on the last day. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is coming again to empty every grave. And then we're going to be judged by what this word says. The book of Revelation called pictures of everybody being before the throne and the Lamb's book of life 
is open. And we're going to be judged from there. And you want your name to be in it. Are you ready? As we sing in their song, are you ready for that day to come? Are you living according to his word? Practicing his will? That's what's going to judge us. He's coming to do that the second time. He's coming the second time in order to do that. And then, thirdly, he's returning to take his people home. This is a good funeral. I, I use this verse so often, these verses so often at funerals, and they fit. But, brothers and sisters, I don't think Jesus quoted them just to be used at a funeral type scripture. He's going to take his people home. John 14, 1 through 3. Many of y'all have this memorized. Jesus said to his disciples, he's leaving them. And he's telling them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He's trying to comfort them. And they're so upset when they hear that he's leaving them. And he's not going to be in their physical presence anymore. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many some birds say mansions or dwelling places. If it go, if it were not so, I would have told you. The God of the universe cannot lie. It's impossible. So he said, this is real. This is true. For if I go and prepare a place for you, <clears throat> I will come again and receive you. Talking about his faithful, his disciples. I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Oh, brethren, <clears throat> wherever Jesus is, I want to be there. Do you? You've heard the story undoubtedly about an old farmer that was in the hospital. He had been healthy most of his life. And first time in the hospital, and he had an old hound dog that stood outside the door in a little country hospital and would scratch on the door and whimper and whine and cry and won't in all the time. The doctor got upset about it and said, man, that dog is getting to be an irritant and everything. And he said, he said, why is he doing that? And he said, you know what? That dog don't know anything about this room. He don't know anything about what's in here. He said, all he knows is that his master is in this room and that's where he wants to be. That's where we want to be. Amen. So he's going to take his people home, brothers and sisters. This world, as we sing, is not our home. We get to mistakenly believing it is. It's not. Every physical thing we have on this earth is going to be burned up one day. This world is not our home. Jesus is returning to take his people to a prepared place. Someone asked me, and I get asked this question often, Brother Green, what's heaven going to be like? You know, is it really going to be roads paved with gold and pearly gates and a crystal sea and all those things you study about in the Revelation and other scriptures? Is it really going to be that way? Or is that just wonderful things that Jesus tells us to try to help us kind of get an idea of how wonderful it's going to be? And I'm going to give you a very definitive scholarly answer. I don't know. It's up to the Lord, brothers and sisters. But you know what? Anything that God, and, and Hebrews 11 talks about this, God and Jesus preparing, going to be good. Amen? They do everything right. I'm reminded of a little joke that kind of goes to this, what we're talking about. Uh, there was a little mouse who went to heaven. <laughs> and I believe a rat can go to heaven. Um, and it's a joke, understand. And, and he goes to heaven, and, and St. Peter says, you just go look all over heaven wherever you want to settle. That's where you settle. And little rat said, I'm so small, and heaven's so big, it'd take me forever to get around it. So St. Peter gave him a skateboard. 
and uh, you just tool around on his skateboard, and you you see more uh, territory quicker. And he they appreciated that. So uh, a, a cat, and y'all know this is a joke, cause there ain't no cat gonna be in heaven, especially Kelsey Ray's. Not nah, Kelsey Ray's that got a demon cat, and. <clears throat> And, and he goes to heaven, you know, and, and, and he's, he's the other in St. Peter's. said, just walk around and see how, where you want to live in heaven. And, and the cat's looking around. This mouse comes by on a skateboard, and he said, man, heaven is great. Look at here. There's meals on wheels right there. You know? Well, brethren, heaven, I don't know what it's going to be exactly like, but it's going to be great because God is prepared. Hebrews 11.10, for he, Abraham, was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. If Jesus goes to prepare a place for us, if God is building that city, my goodness, it's going to be good. It's going to be greater than any architect on this earth could have ever done. And let's finish this. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Oh, man, that's going to be good, brothers and sisters. Somebody says, brethren, it's going to be great beyond everything we can hardly imagine, okay, because this architect and builder is God, and he's prepared a city for the faithful, as Hebrews 11 says, and so we got to be determined to be there so you can experience it for yourself forever. Amen? That's what you do. What's heaven going to be like? Just be there. Then you'll see. Then you'll know, and it'll be forever. Friend, do you have, a, do you have reservations there? Peter talked about that, 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 that God has reserved a place in heaven for his faithful. And do you have a reservation there? Is your name written in the guest ledger or the Lamb's book of life, as the Bible would say? Jesus is coming back to take those in his kingdom home, brothers and sisters. The king is returning for his subjects. The good shepherd is returning for his sheep. The ransom is returning for the redeemed. The, the church is the bride of Christ, and the bridegroom's going to someday come back and take his lovely bride into his arms and carry her over the threshold into her heavenly home. And as we sing, what a day of rejoicing that will be. So don't miss it. Don't miss that for the world. Be there because Jesus allowed himself to be nailed to a cross so you could be there. So if you miss it, whose fault is it going to be? Tell me. Exactly. I hear people say to me, I just can't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. I said, he doesn't really. A loving God nailed his son to a cross so you could be saved. You choose to go to hell. You choose, you send yourself to hell by the way you just choose to live on this life and you choose to spurn the invitation that God has given you that will pay for your sins, wash them sins away, and put you on that road to that prepared city. Jesus, the Bible says, brethren, as, as Mason read a few minutes ago, is also coming back in another role, not as a Savior, but of an avenger. I've got a three-year-old grandson that's all about the avengers. Jesus is going to be the ultimate avenger. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-9. Let's reread this. Not that Mason didn't do a wonderful job, but it fits now. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven 
with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Brethren, the Bible says everybody's going to see that. Dealing out retribution to people that refuse to do two things. To those who do not know God, and the Bible says he's definitely knowable, that even nature itself tells you there's a God. To those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. What's going to happen to those folks? These will pay the penalty. There's a penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Brothers and sisters, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. Death literally in the Greek means separation. When you die physically, your soul separates from your body. When you die spiritually, as the Bible talks about the second death in the book of Revelation, your soul is separated for an eternity from its creator. That's the second death. The wages of sin is death. From these wages, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who do not know God, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction don't be in that crowd it's so unnecessary you don't have to be in that crowd allow Jesus to pay the penalty for you with his blood by getting right with him according to the way the scripture says and we'd be oh so eager and happy to help you do that this morning while we stand and sing